1: your presentation
0: Today, I'm speaking with makeup special effects artist, Tammy Lane. Tammy started her career with one heck of a bang. Having been in the industry only a handful of years with a few films under her belt, Tammy went on to win an Oscar for her work with Howard Berger for Narnia, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Tammy shares with us her career journey, how taking risks throughout her career has been rewarding and how she ended up in Middle Earth for way longer than she planned.
1: Picture up. Last looks. Rolling and action.
0: Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Tammy. Thanks, I'm happy to be here. Now, I would like you to finish this sentence for me, okay? Okay. Once upon a time, there was a girl named Tammy, and when she grew up, she wanted to be an astronaut. (laughs) You did?
1: (laughs) That's awesome. Well, up until 1986, I wanted to be an astronaut until the Challenger disaster, and then it freaked me out. But That's fair enough. <laughs> How do we get from astronaut to makeup artist? Well, as a kid growing up, I, I loved everything space, and, and um, I drew a lot as a kid, and I would draw aliens or monsters, and I'd just like sci-fi and, and all of that, but I loved, I loved like space stuff and astronomy. And um, I spent two summers mowing lawns to save up enough money to buy a telescope when I was like 12 years old, like 11 and 12. And so I've always been uh, interested in space and that sort of thing. So, of course, I was interested in sci-fi and I love sci-fi movies growing up and, and that. So I don't know. I, I never wanted to set out to be a makeup artist because I grew up in Illinois and that's pretty much you know Hollywood was basically Mars anyway (laughs) so I just I meandered through my childhood and college years and landed in a career in LA (laughs)
0: yeah so how does that happen
1: well I went to I went to college at a, a small liberal arts school in Peoria Illinois where I'm from called Bradley University And I was majoring in arts Mm -hmm. as a graphic design, as a graphic designer. And my whole plan was to move to Chicago, live in Lincoln Park, you know, and that was it and work for advertisement or marketing and in some sort of form of doing like graphic art, art and design. And then halfway through my first semester of senior year, I kind of had a little bit of a revelation. And that revelation was I hate computers. (laughs) And and I and it freaked me out that I was going into I'd done a four year degree solely based on a career working on computers, and I uh, I cried to my friends because I was like, oh my god, I'm like this is midterm senior year, and I spent all this money spent my all my parents' money, basically, on this education that I have no interest in anymore. And what the hell am I going to do? And so we went mm-hmm. off to a bar called Desperados on a Wednesday night, and I was telling her all this. And she told me about this class trip that was going out to Los Angeles through the university. And... She asked me, she goes, well, you, you're into like makeup and stuff like that. So going back, like since high school, I participated in community theater and haunted houses because it was a hobby. I liked makeup effects like monsters and and scary things. And, and so I had spent a lot mm-hmm. of my high school free time working at the theater or haunted houses and stuff. So she knew that. And mm-hmm. she goes, well, you know, one of the things that this class trip is doing is – uh, touring a makeup effects studio that might be something you might be interested in and I'm like yeah yeah you know I'm like yeah whatever you know but I didn't think anything of it but it it was <laughs> well I thought a lot about it when I got home and so I eventually went into the office of this professor that was taken he was taking 10 kids out to LA uh five girls and five guys and but it was only communication majors mm-hmm. and I was an art major and so I went in there and like begged him if I could go. Yeah. And so he put me through all the interview, like, cause he had 60 applicants to go. It was, there was a lot of students that wanted to go on this trip. So I applied mm-hmm. and went through the process and was one of the five women that got to go on this class trip. So I was on it. So I, that's how I went, ended up in LA with this class. And we, we met so many I met Henry Winkler. I met Howard W. Koch, who was the head of Paramount Studios at the time. Um, I met Sal Bass, who was a really famous Graphic designer that did opening titles like he did like Casino, the movie Casino, and like the whole Mad Men opening titles is based on his art, his type of art. That's cool. And it it, it was just this like really exciting trip to go on. We stayed on Sunset Boulevard at the Sunset Plaza Hotel, and and uh, anyways, it, it was the first time I had ever like like seen the ocean. It was all this, but of course, oh wow, when we toured the makeup effects studio that we did tour happened to be K and And that's how I met Howard Berger and Greg Nicotero and Bob Kurtzman. And when I walked into that studio, uh-huh. I just fell in love, like like literally fell in love with, because it was this warehouse with all these artists working and working on all these different projects. But they had just finished From Dust Till Dawn and Eraser. And so they had these mm. giant animatronic oh, wow. crocodiles you know or alligators in there and then there was all these sculptors and painters and the smell of chemical which i didn't even know what that was <laughs> you know and and i just <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at Howard and like he was giving us the tour and I was like in awe of everything. And at the end of the tour, I asked Howard, I go, how do I work here? Like, I want to work and this is what I want to do. Like I never seen anything like that before or even knew it existed. And Howard mm. basically said, mm. go back to Bradley. Cause this was January. So I had like five months before I was graduating and he goes, finish your degree, yeah. but then move out to L.A. and give me a call. And so that was kind of my in. Wow. So, you yeah. know, so I prepared. So these there's a these other girls that I met on that class trip as well. There was four of us. So two weeks after graduating, we condensed all of our furniture into a U-Haul. And I drove the U-Haul towing my car. And the other three girls drove their car separately. And we did a caravan from Peoria, Illinois to... to um Hollywood, California. Wow. It took us three and a half days and none of us had any, like one of the girls had a, an internship that was non-paying. And then I had this one thing and the other two girls had nothing. So yeah. we, were, we were sharing a two bedroom apartment, like right off Sunset Boulevard, like mm. Sierra Bonita and Sunset. I mean, the the hookers were still working those streets at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Because it was the mid nineties, you know, pretty woman was like very spot on, (laughs) you know, for what it was at the time. And, um, Um, anyway, I just kept kept calling K and B and bugging them. And I, my first job actually was working at the UCLA opera painting sets because that's what I did for the community theater. And so I did cash in hand painting sets for that for like about a month or like nearly two months. And then I had hounded Howard at K&B enough to where he finally called me back and he said, hey, look, we got this giant movie and I'm going to need as many like worker hands as possible. Are you still looking for work? And of course I was like, "Uh, yes. (laughs) So I started at K&B the following Monday for $7 an hour, um, just like doing grunt work. And I didn't know what I was doing. And from there, it was the best education ever because the, the gentlemen that were working there were so nice to me and showed me so many things. So I learned how to make molds. I learned how to like cast molds. I learned about material. I learned how about seaming and patching. And, and finally, because I was a painter or I'm, you know, I love painting the most. Gino Acevedo Mm. was actually working there on on Spawn. Spawn was the movie that they had got that was like they needed extra hands for. And Gino taught me how to use an airbrush. So, you know, Gino. So it's like I got, I was getting educated by some of the best in the business and I didn't even know it at the time. So that's kind of like how the rough beginnings were I was just a shop girl and just kind of learned on the job
0: that's so awesome
1: I know and then that
0: amazing situation of you just taking such a chance just all your girls driving out and just not having a solid anything in LA but going for it anyway I love that it's just kind of you just you know throw caution to the wind and do it you jump and it pays off.
1: Yeah, that's that's what you. I mean, I figured like in three months we all had enough money, kind of collectively between us, for like okay, we can do this for a few months. The rent that I paid, my quarter of the rent was two was two hundred and forty eight dollars a month at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was I was working on the weekends at the UCLA Opera for cash money, and then I then I got that job. So I actually. You know, because the rents were so low at the time, and we were there was four of us sharing a two bedroom, which cut everything in half. Mm. We were 21 and kind of naive at the time. And I do think that naivety like pushes you to do uh, crazy, crazy ass things that you don't do in your 30s. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So, at what
0: point do you start getting into actually applying makeups?
1: Well, I started, actually, Greg Nicotero uh, gave me my first opportunity to do that. I had been on on set uh, assisting a couple of the guys, like, like, there was this medical drama called Vital Signs that was short-lived, and that was the first time I was on a set, but I was just kind of running around, you know, helping out, assisting, or whatever, but it wasn't until Greg Nicotero approached me, and he goes, hey, I'm going to, uh, we have this movie in Santa Fe, New Mexico do you want to come for a week and like help set up the trailer and all this stuff? And of course I was super excited. I'm like, Oh my God, going on location. I've never been to New Mexico except when I drove through it on my way to LA from Illinois. (laughs) And I, I just, I was so excited. So then, so I went and I, and I just helped like set up the trailer and, and like kind of put together blood gags and, and just any, anywhere I could help out. And, uh, I was there a week and then that week turned into two weeks. And then Greg asked me, and he goes, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to apply makeup. I want to do makeup. That's what I want to do. And he was like, well, at the time, like, if, I don't know if you've seen John Carpenter's vampires, cause that was the movie, but there's like seven main cast vampires. Mm-hmm. There was a few of us. There was Scott Patton, Bruce Fuller, and, uh, Douglas Snow there. And, and I was just helping out. And of course, Greg and, he said to me he goes well if you, do you think you can do a, like a couple of these vampires every morning cuz if you if you can that means we can come to work at 6:30 in the morning and not 5:30 in the morning
0: <laughs> nice
1: and so i said absolutely so scott patton tr- kind of trained me on what the makeups were and that's how i started doing makeup and Then Greg put me in charge of second unit of all the blood gags and weird stuff that we were doing. And it just kind of went from there. So I went from just being supposedly one week in Santa Fe to staying the entire show and doing all sorts of makeup and makeup effects and all that. So when we got back from that movie, that was when my life changed. So then and, you know, I've been working so closely with Greg so then Howard was about ready to do a movie in Luxembourg, in Europe, called Talos the Mummy,
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: and he was looking for somebody that he could take with him that was kind of a all-arounder. So Greg was like, you should take Tammy. You, should, you She was great. She was, you know, whatever, whatever. So whatever it took to convince Howard to take me all the way to Europe, and I barely knew Howard at the time. I mean, he hired me, but, you know, I just kept my head down at the shop and, and then had become good friends with Nicotero and and those guys and and so Howard ended up taking me to Luxembourg and that's that's when that's the movie that our our friendship and partnership really kind of like began was on that movie and then yeah. when I when I returned from that Howard then had you know that was that was about the time that Richard Taylor at what a in New Zealand was starting prep on Lord of the Rings and couldn't handle Zena or, or Hercules anymore, because all of his resources mm-hmm. were being in preparation for the Lord of the Rings trilogy for Peter Jackson. Yeah. So that's how I ended up getting to New Zealand first, because then after Talos, Howard's like, well, I'm going to bring you with me to New Zealand. So and then that even solidified our, our relationship even further. And so that's kind of how I started applying makeup. So that's so cool. And had you been out of the country before going to Luxembourg
0: and New Zealand, or
1: oh, the only time I was out of the country before that was um, a spring break '96 to Cancun. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's so cool. So, and I think when you're
0: away on location and working so close with people, you really do. That's when you that's you forge friendships that are for life. Really, like work working relationships it's quite amazing. Oh yeah, absolutely. So what was happening in New Zealand? Cause I know you, so you guys went down there to do what carry over from with Xena and everything, or right. did you go to help with rings?
1: My first time in New Zealand was actually, I was sent down, not with Howard. Howard sent me down to do an episode of young Hercules uh, okay. At the time when I was working at K and I, I was doing a lot of fake animal stuff and hair transfer and punching and like making fake animals. Mm-hmm. So I was being kind of pigeonholed there for doing that. You know, one of the animals that I that I did was Mr. Jangles, which is the mouse in Green Mile. Oh, cool. <laughs> for a few effects or whatever. So 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 anyway, mm-hmm. I got. Um, the assignment at KNB to work on this episode for Young Hercules called Iolus Goes Stag, which the witch there turns Iolus into a deer, a talking deer. And so we made the animatronic talking right. deer. So I, w- I went down there with a man who is a mechanic named Luke Conlian, and I went to look after the cosmetic side of the deer. And that was my first time in New Zealand. So that's how, like, and that, on that job, I met Dominique Till. I had met Jane O'Kane. I'd started meeting a lot of prevalent um, makeup artists, you know, down, down there and Deb Watson while I was down there. And I was down there for six weeks and then we finished, we finished that show. And then I came back and then Howard was like, well, you want to go back for, we're doing some Hercules stuff and some Xena stuff. I probably went down back and forth to New Zealand, maybe three or four times on different episodes of Xena, working for K&B. Oh, wow. In the middle of all that, we took a trip to Wellington and that's when I met Richard Taylor for the first time. It was like at at a Christmas, their Christmas holiday barbecue. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) I played softball with Peter Jackson. It's hilarious. I have pictures to prove it.
0: (laughs) that's awesome the stories (laughs) you probably have (laughs) (laughs) so at what point then do you get pulled into middle earth well
1: this is a funny story I was working at K&B and I I was like I said I was doing a lot of like animals so I was working on this um show called little Nikki like doing this bulldog as a lighting reference or whatever and I get pulled into Mm -hmm. Howard's office and he goes hey and this is a Wednesday and he goes, Hey, look, you know, um, can you finish up that bulldog by Friday? Because we it to lay some people off and, um, you know, but you know, we'll, we'll call you as soon as we have more, like more, more work coming. He goes, we do have more work coming. Don't worry. But, but we're just going to have to lay you off on Friday. And I was like really mm-hmm. bummed. I was like, I had just moved into my very first own apartment all by myself with no roommates and and uh, I was mm-hmm. so excited, but then, but then I was like, oh my God, they're laying me off. Like I had never been laid off before. And, and I know it's a common thing with these workshops that the artists just kind of rotate, but I, I wasn't, I didn't know. So I, I was yeah. so gutted. And, and so I, I went home and um, on Thursday evening, I get a phone call like a, at like 1130 at night. On my house phone because we didn't have mm-hmm. cell phones back then. Yeah. <laughs> so I got a, a phone call, and um, and I answered, and it was somebody with a, a different accent, and he said, and he was like, "Tammy, this is Richard Taylor from Weta Workshop." <laughs> and and I thought it was my funny <laughs> Bill playing a joke on me, and I went, haha very funny, Bill!" And I <laughs> actually hung up. I actually hung up the phone. <laughs> that's awesome and then a minute later right he called back Uh, yeah yeah, he he (laughs) called back and because bill was working for him bill hunt was a a friend of mine that i met through kmb who's a talented sculptor he's responsible for a lot of the orcs and lord of the rings anyway and richard and richard called back and he went huh he goes he goes, no, nah, this is not Bill. This is really Richard Taylor. And, um, and then he went on to, to say like his spiel about like, you're working where they started shooting. This is October of 99. And they, they had started shooting Lord of the Rings and it, and they needed more hands like prosthetic, uh, applicators and artists on set. And would I be interested? And I was like, oh, I, I, I was like, absolutely. Yes. Yes, sir. You know, and and he goes well when can you get here and I, and I said well how about 2 weeks you know cuz I'm like cuz he was offering a work for 15 months so that would mean moving to New Zealand for 15 months so i had to work out what wow. i was going to do with with my LA life and stuff and all that and Richard was like, well, I was kind of hoping it would be a little bit sooner. And I and I said to him, I go, well, what were you thinking? And he goes, four days. <laughs> I said, so how about seven? And he went, how about five? And I went, done. And so for the <laughs> next, next like three days, I'm like putting stuff in storage and getting rid of stuff and all this stuff. Turns out that because Richard and Howard Berger are such good friends that they had contrived this this fake firing of mm-hmm. me. So because Howard was oh. actually chief, and and so Howard fired me so I would be available to take the job with Richard in New Zealand. And it worked. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's amazing. I love how it's always like these opportunities these these opportunities are like, no, no, you have to leave tomorrow. Or uh, oh. my, my first job was like that. It was just like, I think it was a Wednesday I got the phone call. My last day of work, I was like, I have to work Thursday, Friday at this job that I'm at, which was just in a barbershop. Um, yeah. And she was just like, can you start Monday? And I was like, yeah. and that was moving cities. It wasn't moving countries like you, but it was still like, oh, I have to pack yeah. up my entire life and move it. In a weekend,
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty much yeah. That's what it felt like. Yeah, I literally went down to like I didn't know what to do. I found this cheap storage unit in Eagle Rock, and I went to rent a U-Haul from (laughs) U-Haul. And I'm like, I was just by myself. I didn't have any any help. And you know how there's there's gentlemen out outside that are willing to work for cash. You know when you go to either Home Depot or U-Haul. So I picked two, got two random guys out of the pack and they literally wouldn't let me lift the finger. And they had all my stuff moved out of this apartment and into a storage unit in less than two hours. So my mom thought I was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Moms always do. (laughs) So how was that going down to New Zealand and working on Lord of the Rings? That's amazing
1: yeah well it was it was i you know I didn't have time to think about it, and you know i was mm-hmm. I was down there and of course they're on location in in Queenstown. I literally flew into Auckland and then flew like got my connecting down to Wellington they put me up in a hotel on Marjorie Bank Street somewhere in Wellington right off Courtney place. Mm-hmm. I stayed up all night because some of my Xena friends were in Wellington. So they, those guys kept me up all night long, like going out and um, because it was so good to see them, you know, I was like, all of a sudden I was being picked up at 530. In the morning to be taken to the airport yeah. to drop me off at, at in, in, into Queenstown. So I'm like, it's five thirty in the morning, and I still haven't been to bed. And I'm I, I get back to my hotel just like twenty minutes before my car the the car was picking me up to take me to the airport. And I was like, oh, I'll just mm. sleep on the plane. Well. I didn't realize how quick of a flight it was <laughs> from Wellington. <laughs> to to land in Christchurch and get another plane to Queenstown. <laughs> and um, Yeah, there's no sleeping. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I remember. I remember the flight. So I was just glued to the window. And I, it was the most beautiful place I'd ever seen in my life. And we were circling before we landed into this tiny, tiny airport. And Queenstown back then was not what it is now. It was a tiny fishing village. Mm. Like they didn't even have a proper real ru- runway. It was like a paddock, you know? And, um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, um, What was crazy, we were staying at the Millennial Hotel, which is at the top of the hill before you go down into the main part of Queenstown. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting there and remember, I haven't slept. I didn't sleep on the plane because I was so nervous and I hadn't. And then I was up all night with some friends from Xena that took me out. And, you know, they thought it was pretty funny that I, they were dropping me off when the car was picking me up and I hadn't (laughs) slept. So when I came into the Millennial um Hotel when when the Lord of the Rings gang when the Marjorie Hamelin was the department head for prosthetics at the time and Deb Watson was there and Dominique Till and and um, I saw them briefly like because they were dog tired and I saw them briefly a little bit um, we had a little bit of dinner and Marjorie is like okay well the uh, the bus leaves or the van leaves at six thirty a.m. to get us out to Glenorchy. Cause they were filming in paradise at the time. I have no idea what mm. that meant at the time. I didn't know, like, I didn't know how long the ride was. I thought, Oh, okay, whatever. So I, I made a call and, and I didn't have a cell phone or anything. So I called front desk for wake up call, right? Well, mm. I went to bed and, and, um, all of a sudden I wake up and it's, there's light pouring into my hotel room and I, there was no wake up call or anything. And I look at the clock and I'm like, Oh my God, it's 1130. It's 1130. It's like five hours after I was supposed to catch this van to (laughs) Glenworthy. And I panicked and I was just like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I didn't know what to do. I just got, I showered, I got dressed. And, um, I went downstairs and I had a call sheet with a map under my door. And Mm -hmm. so there was a map there. So I went down and caught a cab and I, made this cab driver take me all the way out to Glenorchy, which is about an hour and 15 minute drive, like through like treacherous yeah. drive. No, not highway, just like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I arrive, at, I arrive at base camp, like during lunch. <laughs> like I am so, I'm like, I'm so fired. I'm so fired. I'm like, why, 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 why? Like I was so fired. So I get out of the car and I come walking up and Marjorie, is standing at the top of the stairs Mm -hmm. of the makeup trailer. And she just looks at me and kind of shakes her head and frowns and walks back into the trailer. So I'm like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. So I go into the trailer, I'm profusely apologizing. And I start cleaning the trailer. Like I start cleaning everybody's stations. I I start cleaning everything. And I was just like, for, for an hour, and Dominique Till was there and yeah. she gave me the silent treatment. Deb Watson was there. And she, like, I thought I was, I thought I was going home, like literally. And then finally, after like a couple yeah. hours of this, Marjorie broke and she goes, okay, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. And I'm like, what, what? And she goes, okay. She goes, well, first off, I was, she goes, I was the one that canceled your wake up call because you need a turnaround day. You-. <laughs> <laughs> and And we were not expecting (laughs) you to come to work, like, for the next two days, because we know that you, what you've traveled and been through. And, and of course, Watson's laughing, Till's wet laughing at me. And and I'm like, but they have a clean ass trailer, but they didn't stop me until their trailer was clean, of course. And, um, and I just, and (laughs) I was like, so, so this is all just a joke. Like, and Marjorie's going, yeah, (laughs) we're sorry. (laughs) So it. So oh then, like, my god! Like, you can stay. <laughs> you can honestly, and then and I was just like so relieved. I couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't believe that they did this, but uh, I believe I did it, and I I was just I'm 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 t- telling you this story, and I have the same sweat starting to happen just thinking about it.
0: <laughs> like, I, oh I, I my god, that's so like, mean. <laughs> Oh my God. And the whole drive out
1: there for <laughs> you would have just been stressing the yep. fuck out. <laughs> Let alone the cab driver cursing me for making him drive all the way out there, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh like, my I goodness! A cab to Glenorchy, to base camp in paradise. I'm like, dude, I was so scared. Like, I did not want to lose this job. I did not, you know. And but nobody told me that I had a turnaround day and that I shouldn't. They just said, well, like Marjorie said, the van leaves at six thirty, and I, or, or you know, and, and then I wake up at eleven thirty. I'm like, and Marjorie's like, there's a huge time difference, Tam, and uh, I didn't. It was crazy It was crazy But I guess that proved That it. of my dedication To be there I suppose
0: Yeah Absolutely And I mean They got some entertainment Out of it obviously Oh yeah They Yes <laughs> That's okay <laughs> I, I was bound to get them Back sooner or later <laughs> So Did that 15 months Go any longer
1: Or were you there For the 15 months And then went back To LA It, it went for four years <laughs> Yeah, 15 months turned into four years and then turned into six. Oh, my God. So what happened was, you know, we filmed Fellowship. We filmed, like, 80% of Fellowship, 60% of Two Towers, and, like, 20% of Return of the King. And Peter Mm -hmm. Jackson was kind of genius in in the way he was doing because he was making just enough of each movie to basically put new lines so far in the hole that they – had nothing but to keep going. So, so after the initial like principal photography of 15 months ended, we still had a lot to do and, and, and whatever. So we did a lot of pickups, like after initial, we did a lot of pickups. And then of course, then the release of fellowship came out. And of course it was this huge hit, which meant that Peter Jackson got a basically a open check or, you know, a blank check for then two towers. So we all had kind of like mm. a 3 month hiatus or whatever and then we went back. I remember 2 Towers like oh it's like 6 weeks of filming. No, we filmed that and that was in February. We filmed till October. Mm. <laughs> we just kept going. <laughs> and then we started filming more stuff with Return of the King and stuff. So it just kind of we just kept filming and filming and filming. And and there was moments like in between like in those breaks, I ended up working at Weta as one of their senior painters, like doing their collectibles because they had a deal with Sideshow. And then there was another movie, a couple other product, projects that came through town that needed makeup effects people. Like there was a BBC miniseries called Lost World that I was on. And then there was a movie called Without a Paddle that I was on. like, you know, there's so I just I had no reason to leave New Zealand because I was working. Even without Lord of the Rings, you know, I still had plenty of work. So that's why I stayed until 2006 initially. Then work ran out in both um, Australia and New Zealand at that time. And then Howard called me up, Howard Berger called me up, and he goes, hey, I have work for you if, if you're available. And so that's what drew me back to the U.S., was work and I was only ever planning to go back for a year, but then that turned out to be four years until the next time that I ventured down to New Zealand. To go back to Middle Earth. To go back to Middle Earth. Yeah, and that was a crazy thing because I was <laughs> I was scheduled to do hitchcock with Howard and also Oz Great and Powerful. I was I was gonna I was going off to do those projects with him and then Zane Wiener mm-hmm. and Bridget York called me up on Thanksgiving at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on, on the American Thanksgiving holiday, put me on a conference call and asked if I'd consider coming back to Middle Earth to be the prosthetic supervisor on The Hobbit. So I said, could I have 24 hours to think about this? Because I had already said yes to these other two shows and I just needed to think about yeah. if I wanted to go back to Middle Earth, but I knew it was a great opportunity, and and it's it's like going home, you know, it's like ah. Huh. So I told Howard about it, and he basically went, "Well, you're fired." <laughs> and I go, "What?" And he goes, "Well, he goes, well, I'm not going to bring you on to Hitchcock or Oz and Great and Powerful." But how do you like that? And I'm like, well, "No, no, no, I haven't, de- like, I haven't decided." And he goes, "Oh, you're fired." So Howard ended up, like, firing (laughs) me twice so I would go back to Middle Earth. (laughs) He's just, like,
0: pushing you out the car door as you're driving, just like, just go.
1: It's going to be good for
0: you. (laughs) (laughs) But we have to talk about what happened in between these these Middle Earth adventures as well because, I mean, you went to Narnia and that was – a pretty incredible career-altering yeah. moment, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, after Lord of the Rings, yeah. Well, one of the things Howard did say to me before, like when I was going off to New Zealand, he said, he goes, go off to and work on Lord of the Rings, but promise me that when you're done with Lord of the Rings, you come back home and we work together again. And I was like, of course. Mm-hmm. Well in 2004, when we finally finished Return of the King and I was working at Weta, Howard called me up and he goes, well, doesn't look like you're coming back to LA anytime soon. So I guess I'll have to come to you. And he told me about Narnia and asked if I would like key it for him since I was already in New Zealand. And so, yeah, absolutely. So that was our reunion job was Narnia. We hadn't seen each other in, or hadn't worked together in in like nearly four years and so that was a very special project alone just for us working together again
0: I mean and when he let you go that first time and sent you down to New Zealand he probably had no idea that it was going to be that long I mean you were told 15 months and then what four years later he's like yeah okay it's time give me Tammy Lane back
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it was and of course you know I didn't know what I was really getting myself into, like with with Narnia. I never read the books as a kid. I didn't. I, I kind of knew what the story was about, but I was really interested in it. And and um, he keeps asking me which was the better project to be a part of, like Lord of the Rings or Narnia. And and it was it was like they're the they're the same to me because they're Narnia was three movies that I was you know blessed with doing and being a part of that franchise as well as middle earth and and working with my best friend for those for those narnia movies it was like i had no idea and at that point you know i hadn't thought about returning back to the us you know i wasn't i wasn't in any of the unions at the time and that was the other thing that was keeping me in new zealand is because i'm like well all the good work is union in la and and um, and the work down here is amazing and it was very hard it was a push pull like to go back to the US after Narnia or to stay, so I stayed. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, you were down in New Zealand for that whole time.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah i bought the I bought my house in Island Bay for two in two thousand and three, and I that's New Zealand's my my second home. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: That's so cool. I was gonna just get into I can't I can't pass this up. I mean how long had you been in the industry before winning an Oscar for Lion the Witch, in the Wardrobe?
1: Um ten years. See, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. So from the moment Howard and I met in January of ninety six, we won an Oscar together on March fifth, two thousand 2006.
0: 1996
1: to 2006. 2006, yes. So, yeah, I was 31. So I I was the youngest female to win an Oscar in that category, and I still think that still holds true. And the youngest person to win an Oscar in the makeup category is Rick Baker, and he was 31 as well, but he beats me by four months.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So close. (laughs) That's so awesome. So I, I doubt it was something you were thinking about while you were working on the film oh, at the time. No. So, I mean, how, how, mi- how mind-blowing was that whole situation?
1: Well, that's a story in itself. What's crazy is, um, yeah, I, I never thought. I thought I was working on some fun kids movie. I didn't – I knew, you know, Andrew Adamson was a director and he had done the Shrek movies. So I just thought it was some silly kid movie. But when I started seeing the caliber of prosthetics that were arriving from L.A. and the suits and the animatronics and the caliber of people that were joining us from America, you know, in New Zealand, I was like, oh, this is big. <laughs> this isn't just some cheesy little kids movie, you know. Yeah. But never once in my brain I thought it was like would be a contender for for the Oscars ever. Like, but I've never, even when we were working on Lord of the Rings, I never thought that. I never thought that either. And Lord of the Rings won two makeup Oscars. So I, yeah. you know, it's something you don't think about. And I still don't think about that. Like, you know, but yeah, that was crazy. So I had come back, let's see, in 2006, I had just moved back to one, the very first project that Howard put me on 'Cause he convinced me to come back to the States was this little bitty low budget horror movie directed by David Arquette called The Tripper. Yeah. And he basically it was it was basically this thing about the serial killer that would dress up like Ronald Reagan, go to music festivals and kill hippies. <laughs> <laughs> like it was called the Tripper. And I tell you what, that was an amazing because the um People on the makeup team on that was, get this, Aaron Kruger, Debbie Zoller, Steve Anderson. And the the actor that was playing the guy that was playing the Ronald Reagan killer was Chris Christopher Nelson, who's another makeup artist that I respect a lot. And then I was partnered with a guy named Mark DeVaris. And the, Mark DeVaris and I were both hired through KB to do the the Ronald Reagan makeup on Chris Nelson, but also all the mm. crazy killings of these hippies, you know, and, you know, Thomas Jane <laughs> was in it. Paul Rubens was in it, like Jamie King, like all these people, like uh, Luke, Lucas Haas, like all friends of David's, you know, Courtney Cox was in it, just just having fun. Mm. So it, this was a fun time. We were mm. up in the Redwoods in in Santa Cruz, right? and on location. It was, mm-hmm. it was so much fun. So we were doing a night shoot and I had just come in from a night shoot and, and I was tired and I had a glass of scotch at like four thirty in the morning. And then I fell asleep and then my phone rings and I notice it's Howard and I'm like, Oh God, what does he want? You know? And I was, I answered it and, um, and he said, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, I just fell asleep from a night shoot. Why are you bugging me? <laughs> and he goes, well, I just want to make sure you're sitting down. I want to congratulate the, new, the newest Oscar nominee for Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I went, holy what? And I jumped on the bed so high. I hit my head on the ceiling, came crashing down. <laughs> you know? And I'm like laughing, going, oh, my God. Oh my. I'm like, What? What? And he goes, yeah, we got nominated. And I didn't even know that was going to be a thing. And I just couldn't believe it. And it was a January morning. And so I was staying at this old hotel called the Borndale Inn. And I had a six pack of Mm -hmm. Sierra Nevada on the balcony. And it was packed to snow because it had been snowing because we were up in the mountains. Mm -hmm. And I I couldn't sleep. But yet it was so early in the morning. I, I didn't want to call anybody and wake anybody up like my mom or anything. So I just sat there yeah. and watched the snow fall by myself, wrapped in a blanket on this balcony, and I drank that entire six pack of Sierra Nevada, <laughs> like like it was nothing because I'm was just in this haze. So then I was yeah. it was time to go to work at two in the afternoon because we had another night shoot. So I took an I I couldn't mm. take a nap. I tried to. So I took a shower. I got back in the van at two o'clock to go to. Um, to base camp. And I noticed that like nobody from the makeup department is in that van. They And somebody said, oh, they had all gone on an earlier van. And I was like, oh, OK, I didn't think anything of it. And um, I, I come walking up, you know, the trailer was like, oh, hey, Tam, whatever. I'm like, you know, still I, I still can't process this information. I still haven't like I don't even know what to do with it. Mm. And I walk into the trailer and Aaron, Debbie and Steve and Mark, and they had decorated my station with like blown up rubber gloves with Oscar. And they had made a gold leaf Oscar and put it on my desk. And they, and they, they had just decorated my whole space because they all knew they, of course, I mean, you know, I didn't know they, they knew and they, and nobody said anything until I got to the trailer, and it was it was really awesome. I, I still have that handmade Oscar that Aaron and Debbie had made me. So that was that's pretty so awesome. Cool. And, then, and then I had to get ready to, to saw a guy in half with a chainsaw and just went about my day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you do. But that's so awesome to have that that support
0: and have your peers, like, so happy for you. Like, yeah. it's, it's really nice to see. I love it.
1: Yeah yeah, it was a pretty, it's, it was a pretty special thing. And, and the, the thing was, I, I I had to miss out on a lot of the Oscar celebration, um, because I was, I was, I was doing this, this movie. And so, you know, Howard got to go to all these like little dinners and stuff and whatever. And I was just, but I wouldn't change anything. You know, I, to me, I had the perfect Mm -hmm. experience being on that low budget horror movie and 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 everybody being so excited. Even David Arquette was so excited for me. He actually offered to buy my Oscar dress. He was trying to hook me up with Christian Dior, and I'm like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. wait. I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what to do about this. <laughs> That's so cool. I love it. I just, yeah, yeah. I ended up getting my dress from Bloomingdale's for two hundred sixty-four dollars, and it was beautiful. So it's like, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. You, <laughs> I love it. No, you look beautiful. You know, people say, "Oh, it's you know, it is what it is." But when you're there, like to me, I was just in awe of of everything. You know, of the whole like watch, even being part of the live show and the commercial breaks and watching what happens in the audience. But when your name is called, or when you see yourself when they do the little clip and you see that you see like it's it's just like it's undescribable or indescribable of of what you can imagine it ever being, you know, and, and let alone to win is, is the most outrageous thing, you know? Yeah. I'll, I'll never, I'll never like forget it. And the funny thing is, is like, you know, um, the Hobbit was nominated for uh, the first one, the unexpected journey <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and we didn't win ironically, we were nominated against Hitchcock. So I was actually, I said to Howard, I said, look at this. The only times both of us were nominated for an Oscar is the first time we worked together, we won together. And the second time was we worked against each other and we both lost. So we kind of made a pact to always work together because it had better results. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. I know what it's like to win and lose at the Oscars
0: <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I don't know if you, I don't know Do you completely feel like you, you lose when you're nominated though? No,
1: no, no There's, you a, don't, there's a partial
0: like, win there, isn't there?
1: Oh, it's always a win. Like I, I, use that term lose like for a comic comic relief, but but honestly, yeah. <laughs> uh, it is. It's an honor to, to just to be there, and you know, I mean, I love being there representing Weta and the prosthetics team alongside my longtime friend Rick Finlater and Peter King. You know, it was just exciting to to be there, and then and then my best friend sitting across from from me, and he's also honored you know so it was it was an incredible night two different experiences but both incredible yeah
0: and I mean so keying on Narnia I mean that must have been it was pretty big undertaking had you had you assisted department headed like before on something that big or is that
1: your first time that was my first time being kind of like a you know, kind of like a co-department head because I met so many people on Lord of the Rings. I had assured Howard that, you know, the people that were working with us, I had been in New Zealand. I met a bunch of Australians and I met, you know, Kath Brown, who I have great respect for. And like Elka mm. and Karen Jackson and you know, all these like Australian artists and I and I said to Howard, I go, don't worry about it, just get down here and I you know I can. There's all these people that that I knew about and respected. So, but you know, like anything, it's like moving to California for the first time. It's like the the less you know, the better off you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just jumping. Mm-hmm.
0: And I guess when you have someone like Howard there and you feel like you have that support, you're like, yeah, I can do this. This is good.
1: Yeah. And, and plus he brought down a core people from LA and they were all my friends that I had known before he even, you know, had come down for Lord of the Rings. So it was like a reunion of friends, you know? It was a very exciting time. Like it was two worlds, two of my worlds colliding, my New Zealand world colliding with my LA world. That's very cool. So, I mean, you've been lucky enough to
0: work in a few locations around the globe. So, what has been a standout fave? I am going to maybe just throw out that it might be New Zealand, but I am um, sure there yeah. are others. And what what <laughs> what location has maybe posed the most challenges for you, just work wise?
1: I think I want to say it's the same job. Which I did a job uh, yeah. with Blake Lively called the Shallows in the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in the Gold Coast, Australia, like a few years back in 2016, I think that I or 17, I did that. I I was passed the job by Vivian Baker, who normally does Blake Lively's makeup, and and this was a fairly physical. Sh- Physical show, you know, it's a shark attack movie. And Blake, she, she's basically a one-woman show, and um, mm. it was all this effects, and it was exactly what I was into at the time. I love taking a character, and and the makeup changes help tell the story and and tell you know what this character has, has gone through. So. I ended up meeting Blake and she agreed that I I would come to, I was living in LA at the time. And so I got on this job as a makeup designer on it. And uh, we filmed in Lord Howe Island, which is about 600 kilometers off the coast of New South Wales. But it's real primitive. Mm -hmm. Like there's not like there's one cafe with one like internet, like only five people can be on the internet at the same time. So it it felt like the, the, you know, early 2000s to me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So we were there for two weeks and filming on the beach and filming all the exteriors of this shark attack movie. And that was that was quite interesting. I had to figure out how to do make tattoos for a couple of the other actors because the director wanted, but I didn't have any of the luxury of having what I normally would have to do it. And so just creating mm-hmm. that. And I mean, we had to, I had to ride, I had to ride my bike down this pathway down to the beach early in the morning. It was still dark out and avoid all the, um, all these birds laying, laying in the, uh, in the street, like, cause that was, what they did. And that's what these native birds did. I don't know. It was, it was just, uh, you had to ride a bike everywhere because there was hardly any cars on the Island. But then, you know, and then we filmed <laughs> the next part of that, like at, at the tank in, in Gold Coast where they just finished doing pirates. So that was another mm-hmm. adventure of working around doing, doing that, but it stands out to me. Cause that was like physically hard to do like this water movie and, and maintain a fake tan with all the, with everything that happened to, to, to Blake's character, you know, we, on day two, we had to do the end of the movie. So I had to figure out like all she went through, I had 38 makeup steps. Mm. And so we actually filmed the end of the movie when she's dragged out of the ocean. That was day two.
0: (laughs) Oh my god yeah I love how they schedule stuff like that it's like oh guys yeah. give me a break <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, I, we were in Lord Howe Island for two weeks go, you couldn't like wait to do this like in week two so I could fi- have more time to figure this out but nah but it, it was a great nah. way to do it because I knew <laughs> where my ending point was then so so all in yeah, all it that's true out. so you but, just needed yeah. to. so <laughs> was that the
0: first film that you had um department headed and designed yourself?
1: Um, yes. Well, no, no. I, I did a short film that I designed myself. It is a short film, though. It's called The Best and Worst Days of George Morales Unnaturally Long Life. The title of that. Short is actually longer than the movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But yeah, like I did, it was a, I aged a woman to two different age. I took a 40 year old actress and made her 65 and then 85. So that was kind of when I started like going off and doing things on my own because I really enjoyed it. And then yeah, Shallows was the first one that I actually had sole control over that I didn't have a co department head that I was working with like Howard. So Mm -hmm. then that kind of introduced me to all these other like lower budget things that I got that I was getting into. And the same thing, whereas the actor goes through some trauma and gets to the end. So that was good. I did a movie called The Program in 2013 with Ben Foster. And I was hired by Ben Foster to be his personal, but he was playing Lance Armstrong. So I, I, I did get to um, like, develop and create the, um, the cancer makeups and the likeness makeups for Ben on that one. But I had the the help like of K and B doing all the shop work and providing the bald caps and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Is that something you've found to be enjoyable taking on that role a little well, bit more doing more design work and department? Yeah. Healing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I love both. I love, but I love collaboration. So I almost prefer having somebody else to bounce things off of. Like, you know, um, like when I was on The Shallows, the recommendations of a few Australian friends of mine, like Shane Thomas, recommended Louise Colston because I needed somebody that nice. had some effects, but also had some beauty and some whatever, just, just to like somebody that like could fill in the blanks where I felt I lacked. And that's Mm -hmm. how I met Louise Colston. And we talked for an hour on the phone and and I, at the end of the phone call conversation, I was like, Oh my God, you're like my sister, you're hired, you know? And she was pretty, when we met, I, I just felt like I was meeting somebody that I had known forever you know yeah. and we remain like That's best friends since and so but it was great to collaborate with her even though i was kind of the designer she her advice and support and guidance through all of that was you know it was priceless so it, it's great to wander the world and find all these people all over the world that you can have a Chemistry with to work with. Yeah, absolutely. I was
0: going to ask: is there is there a type of project or that you have not done yet that you'd like to have a crack at? Whether it's a genre of film or a makeup type or I,
1: I really love aging people, and I really love like the story of I really do love following one character or a set of characters from one time frame to another with trauma or in between. Um, I just finished a, a show in Toronto called Jupiter's Legacy, where it was, it's about a family of superheroes and it takes place in two time periods, the 1930s and then present day. And K&B had the show and Howard sent me to supervise it in Toronto for like six months. And I believe Mrs. America was there at the same time. And, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, which I can't I did not I see you in the
0: two weeks that I was there. <laughs> Anyway, that's another story.
1: Um, I tell you though,
0: it, the the hours were. I mean, I know your hours were insane, and then Mrs. Yeah. America's hours were insane. Insane, but uh, yeah, it was just not. I was going to work and then sleeping and then going to work. So I know. I'm sure you're doing well, the same.
1: I didn't even know Rick Rick Finlater was there until I ran into like he was. It was morning. I was just coming home from work, and he was coming out of the elevator to go to work. <laughs> and, and it was like what the hell <laughs> you know like we just saw each other it was I had no idea he was there
0: oh that's amazing
1: um but yeah so but, what was
0: Jupiter's yeah. legacy what were you doing there
1: I was doing the modern the present day makeups for some of the uh characters like Jeff Dumal and, and Ben Daniels main were my main guys and then I had this ghost that I was doing and then you know I don't it hasn't been released so I can't really say too much I don't think yeah No, but I I did the aging, which was prosthetics and fake beards. And I worked closely with the hair department that had these great wigs, you know, that kind of show, but whether I actually, it's not whether I want to do a show that I haven't done before, I would give anything to go back to something like Narnia or something that was fantasy, I think, you know, like Mm -hmm. I love all that Pan's Labyrinth and, you know, like like big makeups that, you know, are, are fantasy. But then I, I equally like fooling the audience, you know, into something realistic. Yeah, that's amazing. I think um, with the fantasy
0: thing, it's like being able to create a whole world or universe is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, you still have to set boundaries on what's okay. Otherwise it goes crazy one way or the other way. But I, I feel blessed in my career that I, I just, I feel so fortunate. And and that's why I'm such an advocate of taking risks because those risks, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not saying all my risks have paid off, but, but a lot of them have in, in such exponential way that it that it's not so like when I tell young aspiring makeup artists you know I'm like you know I'm, I'm like get out of Pittsburgh <laughs> like you gotta put yourself where you want to be you know it's like you you moved to LA you wanted to be in a, in America to do these projects I mean you you have the same instinct yeah let's just do it I'm just <laughs> I
0: don't right. want to sound like just a Nike it. commercial but it's um <laughs> Yeah, are you sponsored? <laughs> I'm all. Yeah, I'm all about. I am though. I'm all about just like, unless it's something that's fucking stupid and going to get you killed. I'm just
1: like, well, just, just do it. Like, how bad could it possibly go? Just yeah. like, just try it. Well, that that's the thing that, like, when I moved to LA with three of my friends, you know, I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? In three months, we run out of money and we go back to Illinois. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not that bad. So. yeah. I mean, what are what are some of the lessons do you think that you've learned while working in the industry? Mm-hmm. Well, because it we're an artistic community, it's like we should celebrate each other and not like be jealous of each other. You know, there's a lot of people that get jealous of what other people have and and all this stuff. And I, I just think the biggest lesson is everybody we're all so different. But we all have the same compassion and passion for what we do, and and I love looking at what other people how they handle things or how how uh, they creatively attack a, a, a certain I don't know genre or project or anything like that. But it's also important that you have some time for yourself as well, like you know. I decided a few years ago that I didn't really need, like, so many people are addicted to work. They're, like, looking for their next job a month before Mm. their present job ends because they just have to fill that void. They have to fill it, you know, money, 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 and all this. Mm. And what I've learned where I'm happier is do a project and do it, like, till you wear yourself out and then take a month to however long you can take off, like depending on your financial situation, but I always make sure I save enough money where I can be out of work for three months after a project. Because some of the best advice ever given to me early on in my career was from Richard Taylor. And he Mm -hmm. said to me, and I'll never forget this. And I still live by this is a, a, a good career. Isn't based on the films that you do do sometimes it's based on the films you don't do so i've always kept that in my heart because i've been offered you know things where i'm like oh that sounds exciting and it's all a bit rushed and it's like when do you fit? and all that on all of a sudden it's like there's always going to be a project but Mm -hmm. there's always you have to take time for yourself and like because it's not fair to that new project if you're burnt out on the old one. So, yeah. it, I, I do believe in a lot of self-care between projects, and that's what I've learned. And I and I'm happier, happier happier for it. And I can give. I'm more creative, and I'm more enthusiastic when I go on to project that comes next whatever that may be yeah because you can give it your all like you're
0: you've recharged your batteries and you're ready to deliver and get into it and i think sometimes too that i I could be wrong but there are the odd odd people who do go from job to job to job and even in between full-time jobs they're day playing and like they just don't stop and with the hours that we do i'm like how do you have a life outside of this like you need to have some type of personal home life whatever that is whether it's going on vacation or just time out and not just be at work all the time because everything then becomes about work and they can become very they get a little negative about there's a lot of complaining and a lot of you know and it's just like oh no you really have to you have to have time out you have to have a break It just
1: Yeah, when we work 80 some hours a week, we're doing two full time jobs a week, you know, and, and like, for Mm. me, a single woman with no children, I do have a cat, but, you know, cats are easy. But, you know, I think about my, (laughs) my colleagues that have families and children and all this, and, and they're like working 16 hours a day, and they miss their family so much. And I'm like, we're just, we're making entertainment. For your family to watch, Mm. it's like, it's finding that balance, you know, and I understand people need to earn more money, I guess, more money than I do to feed like two kids, you know, but there's also, Mm. we don't need to work 17 hours a day to achieve that because... I have friends that are teachers. I come from a background and family of teachers and in education. I mean, hell, I was almost a high school teacher myself. And it's just, you know, what's important. So when you're in your twenties, you're all gung ho, and that's fine. But you do need to take some time out and and realize who you are and and that I believe you should be you should identify with other things other than being a makeup artist. You know. Like I love to yeah. go fishing, and I love—I have all these other hobbies, and I—I I love to do my own paintings and and um, stuff like that, you know. But also, yeah, as a friend absolutely. of mine pointed out, I'm in a privileged position where I can now pick and choose. Which I do remember the days that you can't, like you have to keep working. I I do get that, but eventually, when you get past that "have to" stage you get to the want to mm-hmm. stage. Yeah, it's,
0: it is, you, you do get to a point where, and you have to, I think you have to be aware of it when you're just like, oh, I can afford to say no to this job, it's okay. Yeah. And as you say, when you are working, Putting money aside and making sure that you save money, so you can afford to be more fussy about the next job that you take, and make sure that it's a job that creatively challenges you, and you're going to enjoy it, and it's working with good people, and you're yeah. not unhappy in your work life. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's true.
1: But that's the thing you don't want to take. You don't want to have a knee jerk reaction and take that first job that comes by. Whereas if you only waited another month, a dream job mm. would you know, that that's my thing. It's like, yeah, it's a gamble. It's like, okay, I'm going to commit to this job, but you got to mm-hmm. also think if I'm going to commit to this job, is it worth giving up any future for the next like three, four, five months, whatever it is, is it going to be worth giving up something that possibly, possibly might come through that, you know, that you would want and and I'm a very loyal person and I, I do not up and leave shows to like mm-hmm. go to the next big, bigger thing, you know. So I try to if I'm on the show, I'm on that show no matter what happens or what opportunities come because that I' I'm, 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 I've made that decision. And being like that, yeah, has made me very particular about the decisions I make. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to ask what? do you find most enjoyable about this line of work travel yeah. travel and meeting new people and, and working with people you wouldn't normally work with i've met so many and especially in new zealand and australia and and i've worked with some people out of england that i've met and and just being closer like our world is so small in, in the prosthetics community you know I mean, Nick Dudman, occasionally we correspond just email to just check up on each other and, and see how we're doing. And I love that about this industry, you know, and and there's like this, for me, this family, this international family based on like this small group of people that do what I do. And, and, and that's what I love most about it. Every job is different. Every challenge is different. So it's that unknowing, I guess, that I'm addicted to, you know, what's going to happen yeah, now? It's the variety and <laughs> the... yeah yeah yeah.
0: it's true it's it's so funny I think if you can't handle the unknown then it's the wrong line of work for you because (laughs) if you need to know where you're going to be in 12 months then yes you can't unless you you know I guess you can get on a tv show or something that runs as consistency and mm-hmm. stability, but, and some yeah. people want that, you know. Absolutely, I can't, I can't um, fault them for it. No, I get it. And I was going to ask, what, what is a what is one of your least enjoyable? What, what do you what do you enjoy least about this industry?
1: The hours, and also um, the disrespect in some way from people above the line. It, it was interesting for me because I started doing a lot of beauty makeup since I worked so ho- so closely with Howard Berger. He was department Mm -hmm. heading a lot of stuff for Mark Wahlberg. So I would key, but he said to me, you know, and and beauty I was never known for, still not known for, (laughs) but I took Mm -hmm. it upon myself to learn a lot about it and do it. And so I've been, for the last eight years, I've been doing a lot of just straight makeup, just regular makeup. And I've come to have a newfound respect for it as well. But then it's an interesting thing when you work in a a regular makeup department as opposed to a special effects makeup department and how you're treated by, I'm not saying all producers Mm -hmm. or directors or anything like that above the line, but it is, there is a big difference. And I hate that because I hate that all my friends that do beauty makeup and straight makeup that work their entire career. And it's a hard job. Like it's a hard job. Mm. And for them to have felt disregarded or just, you know, not creatively adding, it's a have to sometimes you're, you made to feel like you have to have this department. Whereas in fact, they, they are the psychology of The psychology base of like, you know, the actor, you're the first person that they, your actor sees when they come in. If they're in a bad mood, maybe they'll be in a better mood when they leave the makeup trailer because we're all like playing music and hat and trying to create an ambience of, of fun and relaxation and sometimes quiet time, whatever is required. And. So I just I hate this this aspect of what we do in our career, same with hair artists, as you know, that we mm. people think we're like, Oh, people, you know, people put on their makeup and do their hair every day. It can't be that hard. But, you know, they say that same thing about mm. costumers. Oh, people put dress themselves every day. Why do we need this? But they, those people don't actually know what we do. And I guess that's what's frustrating. Yeah. You can't train. That's just their inexperience or them not just giving a shit. And I, I it, it, that's what I hate most is I've, I've witnessed some really unfortunate things that like friends of mine had had to endure, you know, from people that are a little bit higher up. So it's, I guess, disrespect. Yeah.
0: And I guess it's like there's times where I just always think that producers or whomever, it'd just be nice if they, you know, came in at the time that we came in one morning and just sat quietly in the corner of the Mm -hmm. trailer, not disrupting anybody, um, and just watched what we actually do every morning to get everybody ready. It's just like we're not just in there twiddling our thumbs and having, you know... (laughs) Sitting down, oh, having it, breakfast, yeah. chatting with everybody, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: just to educate themselves on what all departments do. Yeah, well, on Narnia, I remember our first AD uh, was a man called Casey Hodenfeld, and he has a reputation of you know he's a he's a screamer and yeller, but he's the nicest guy, and and he's one of those like almost, you know, dinosaur, like, like I want to say, um, inst- like, a was it, extinct ADs where he came in. He wanted to know what it felt like to wear a, a minotaur head, you know, because he needed yeah. to know telling him. They can only wear these heads for so long. Otherwise you have to call heads off and we need to take a break. You can't keep filming because they're heavy. The, their sight is restricted and all this stuff. So he came in one morning, he goes, give me, give me a stunt. Like we gave him a stunt head to wear to see. And he was, he was Ding in a minotaur head for as long as he could take it. <laughs> so he could understand what these performers were going through. So he, so he could be empathetic and it actually changed the way he did things. And I, and You know, and he understood like how long these makeups were going, and what we had to do to get like gloves on, hands on, how much time it took. He he wasn't fighting us; he was working with us, and that makes a huge difference.
0: Absolutely, this should happen more often because there's so many times I hear a second ad kind of going, the first is like screaming at me because they're just like, "What is happening at base camp?" and it's just like, Mm -hmm. and the second ad would be like, "They have no idea what happens here." Mm-hmm. they need to come down here just to check out what is going on and why it can't be any faster because it's as fast yeah. as it can go <laughs>
1: yeah well i i just i, I know i know some uh department heads that will get all frantic sometimes about that and i remember mm-hmm. on a few times in Hobbit that was happening and i know caro the first ad knows exactly what's happening it's just you know it's like come on come on come on right but it, it's yeah. just like it's It's not going to happen any faster. And I even said that to all the second ADs. Everything, I'm like, you screaming at me doesn't make it happen faster. Like, it just doesn't. Like, you're just, like, you just need to, you know. It's kind of like my favorite saying is, is your inefficiency doesn't make it my emergency.
0: Yeah. So, (laughs) That's perfect.
1: And them coming in every
0: five minutes to disrupt sure. you while you're trying to get no, something I done lock, quickly. I lock, isn't well, going to I wear a radio.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, I, yeah, exactly. I lock the door yeah. and I wear the radio, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, if I say it's going to take 10 minutes then it then don't come in until 10 minutes and if there's a problem I'll radio you saying I'm having an issue like something happened where the I was laying down a piece and the actor itched at his eye and totally you know screwed up the edge you know and I'm going to have to replace mm. it which is going to take another 20 minutes I'm so sorry but you know that stuff does yeah, happen yeah and keeping the communication open yeah and 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 I can hear like the beauty part about a makeup artist having Having a radio, which I always wear a surveillance. It's never open, but I can always, mm. I always know when somebody's going to throw the makeup or hair department under the bus because they they don't. They're so mm. used to us not being on radio, and I it's happened. It happens yeah. all the time, and I do believe that's why some some producers or like whatever think that we're problem children because of that. Because what they're hearing is, oh well, they're too long in makeup. When actually, I'll go. Actually, they've been out of the chair for 20 minutes and I have no idea where they've gone, you know? That's so. amazing. I, I know when I, when I moved here, I was just like, oh, I don't have to wear a radio?
0: This is amazing. So part of me was okay. like, I felt free of the, yes. of the yabbering that was happening in my ear. But at the same time, sometimes I'm just like, oh, I need to know what's going on. So yeah. I think you've just kind of encouraged me, I think, to actually ask for a radio from now on. On yeah. particular jobs that are a little crazy, I think it would be extremely yeah. helpful.
1: Well, I mean, you can always shut it off. That's the thing. You know, like if it's like, if it's so like yeah. whatever, but but I find it more of a help than a hindrance. And plus it keeps, it. Yeah. and if the ADs know that you're on radio, they, they can't lie. They can't lie. But plus also... <laughs> You know, PAs, they, they they try their hardest to work with you and all that. But, you know, a lot of those PAs have only been doing this for a year or less or less than two years. I'm not going to base m- how well I do my job based on information from a kid, you know, that's making $50 yeah. a day. Like, I want to know what's mm-hmm. going on. And that's how I look at it. And here's the thing. I don't even actually talk on the radio. I just listen. So yeah like and unless unless I really need to t- talk on the radio, I just listen and it's just it's good. It's good. you you find out so much information, yeah. and I can do my job better by preempting what's coming up next. Oh.
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: instead of kind
0: of going up to someone every five minutes going so what is happening right now? <laughs> exactly. Can you please communicate with me? Tell me what's going on. And then they don't know what's going on because the first AD is not telling them directly or whatever. So, Tammy, if, you, if you're if you in a trailer and you've got your entire kit with you, you're all set up, but there's one tool or product that I took away from you, what would that one thing be that would really stress you out? What would you not want to be without?
1: Well, it would, it, it would depend on the job, but um, I love my silicone beard block so much.
0: Mm-hmm. because
1: I do a lot of facial hair and I instead of using lace pieces I I lay hair up using super baldies. So if you took away my super mm-hmm. baldies and my silicone beard you block because um then I I I would I mean of course I don't need that for every job but I find it it helps on every job but I like if I if somebody like a stunt person comes through and you have to emulate a mustache and you don't have a mustache and then you, I can make one like in and, and it holds a lot better than lace does so but I love those and I say that on my last job I used it every day all the time so those are my two favorite things right now that's awesome and uh,
0: tell me I was reading something I noticed something the other day is there something that you can mix with a super boldy so uh, to cut the shine down
1: yeah uh tc100 or cabosil okay tc100 is is you know is you can, you can cut the shine. Oh, and, and the other thing that I live by is the Mac mat. So I shove that into like, it's an anti shine. It doesn't go white. doesn't go weird on silicone. Mm. So I, that all the time i shove that into lace if i get a sheen that like you know every shot is different and you know you look at it and you're like "Ooh, that's popping and you can just mush that into yeah. the lace or whatever and and um uh, or, or on the edge of the prosthetic and you can stipple it so you can have some texture on it and just for that like that shot so mac uh matte is one and then my silicone <laughs> beard block and super baldies are like my favorites yeah i think the mac product i think it was you
0: that got me onto that maybe on hobbit oh yeah on the lace on top of Uh your guys um pieces yeah and i it's always in my my standby my setback i love it yeah awesome that makes me feel good (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's always you know you always pick up something from somebody don't you
1: yeah right now who would you like to hear on the podcast Oh, I'm biased. I, I think you need to get Howard talking. His story. He's a great storyteller. Yeah. Um, I think so, too. And Neil Gordon. He's hilarious. And he's great, too, from England. Okay. And Nick Dudman. He did the Harry Potters, but he okay. also did Pony Dreadful, and he did Carnival Row, which I'm kind of, when you ask me about projects I would would love to do, I don't know if you've seen this show, but the, I have. I have like, some of those like effects make. Up. Oh my god! Like with the horns and the bl- blending into the skin and all that. I'm like, I, like yeah. that kind of fantasy work. So Nick yeah. Dedman would be a good one to talk about that because he, his career, like everything he's been involved, everything I love as a kid growing up and like into my adult age, he's been a part of. Except Harry Potter. I'm not a fan of Harry Potter, but it was great work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, that um, Carnival Row, I think, surprised me. I was just like, oh, let's just have a go. It looks like it might be fun. And then really enjoyed watching it. So I'm glad, yeah. I believe,
1: a second season is happening, right? Yeah,
0: so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool.
1: So maybe, yeah, maybe you should get Nick Nick on because he's he's a good storyteller too. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me today, Tammy. It's been Ace chatting with you. Oh, uh, it's awesome. Always good to catch up
0: with you. see more about our guests go to our instagram at the last looks podcast or our website thelastlookspodcast.com if you want to keep up with new episodes being released be sure to subscribe through apple podcasts spotify amazon google play youtube or any podcast streaming platform and remember if you're enjoying the show share it the last looks podcast would like to thank brett stanley and sabrina castro the song fun time by dj quads Thanks for listening. Until next time.
1: That's a wrap, people.